Welcome to Faith and Family. I'm Andy Bates. The Word of God is a good gift. It brings life and salvation to those who hear it. What if one cannot hear it? How do we bring the Word of God to them that they might receive His good gifts as well? We're going to learn about that in just a moment. A great organization working in Michigan to bring that good news of Jesus to the deaf. Thanks to our underwriter, Concordia University, Wisconsin, for supporting Faith and Family. Find out more about Concordia University, Wisconsin on our website, kfuo.org. Look for the CUW logo in the sponsor section. Joining me by phone this morning, the Reverend Brant Engel, president of the board for Ephatha Lutheran Mission Society. Reverend Engel, welcome to Faith and Family. Thank you. Glad to be here with you. Tell me a little bit about your background and how you got involved with Ephatha Lutheran Mission Society. Well, it started about when I when I was a little uh, a little boy. My grandfather was on the board of directors of the Lutheran School for the Deaf in Detroit, so I've been around deaf people my whole life. When I went to the seminary, I went with the intention of becoming a pastor for the deaf. I served my vicarage in a deaf congregation in Columbus. When I got out, I was put in a hearing congregation, but I still took time to uh, preach and to have ministry to the deaf. And then in 1993, I became a pastor of our Savior, Deaf in Detroit, and then in 2003, um, Pastor Gunseth was the missionary at large that replaced me, and I went back to teaching school full-time in Detroit and helping him out. They started Ephatha, and we've been working together since 2003 in Flint and Detroit, taking care of the deaf churches and the eight interpretive centers we have around Michigan to bring uh, the ministry of God's Word to the deaf. Let's talk a little bit more about the history of Ephatha Lutheran Mission Society. But, well, before we get into Ephatha, let's talk a little bit about uh, deaf and deaf culture and what that's like in the United States today. Um, what is You said you grew, grew up around deaf. What does that mean to you? Well, I, because I, my grandfather was involved in the education of the of the deaf children in Detroit, he was on the board of directors. I saw that they did everything that we did as hearing people. They just did it in their their own language. They communicated through sign language. You know, they had jobs in the post office, the newspapers, the car companies. They just had to have you know somebody that knew their language that could communicate with them, and. You know, by themselves, they you know they're a culture in their own. They have their own language. They have their own culture. It's not it's a language that is based on concepts more than like language that we're used to in the in the hearing world. You know, they know everything based on mm-hmm. sign or what I tell people. It's pictures, pictures in the air. Could you give me an example of what that you know what how that would compare to something in American English? What something in American Sign Language? How it might be expressed uh, so that it's expressed as you you said in concepts, concept for concept rather than word for but, word. But you, you use your facial expressions, you use your body language, you use your direction of your hands, the look on your face. Everything is not just standing there stiff and just moving your hands. It's like a whole almost like a demonstration because by the way you look at them, by the way you point, the way you show things, that's why it's hard to explain to <laughs> hearing unless you see it because we we have to rely on our ears where they have to rely on their eyes. When did and you first start learning sign language? I first started learning it roughly when I was a little kid walking around the deaf school with my grandfather, but I didn't really learn it more fully as when I went to the seminary because I was a house parent at the Lutheran School for the Deaf, and I just, for whatever reason, picked up on it 
because I had to communicate with the deaf, the deaf children, and they basically taught me what I needed to know. And then when I went to the seminary on Vicarage, when visiting the people in their homes, the members of the congregation, they taught me the language in Columbus, Ohio. So and would you carried on since? Would you say that learning the language, learning American Sign Language from the deaf is uh, probably the best way to learn the language, to learn it directly from those who use it on a daily basis? Yes. And we have members of our congregation in Birmingham who are, are members of the deaf church who actually teach in the community colleges up here in Michigan. They teach sign language, the deaf, because everything is taught quietly. There's no speaking. You can't rely on your ears to have somebody speak you the signs. You have to rely on your eyes. You have to become like them so that you can understand what they're going through. So there's no speaking in the in the class. What was most challenging for you in learning American Sign Language, or ASL? Um, to not try to sign every word. Try not to make English into sign. But just like when you're in the seminary, you learn Greek, or you learn Hebrew, or you learn Spanish, it's their own individual language, and you've got to put everything that basically you've been taught as a hearing individual learning English, you've got to put that aside and look at it in that way as their own language. So learning it as a language from the ground up rather than learning it as a language based on the English that you already know, learning it right. uh, by concepts and uh, from right. the ground they up. Had their own, they had their own you know, sentence structure. They mm-hmm. had their own you know, idioms that in different parts. Like when I was in uh, Vicarage in Ohio, we signed some things that I learned in Ohio in Vicarage in, in, in worship service. When I came back to Michigan... <laughs> It was a little different, even though they could basically understand it, but they said, well, yeah, we know what you did your vicarage. It was in Columbus, Ohio, just because you had the nuances of that part of the country. So they all had their own little nuances depending where they are, you know, in the United States. Similar to English in the United States, we have phrases and slang and terms that are regional dialects, right. if you will. Uh, American Sign Language has its own regional terms and dialect as well. Right, right. When you mentioned earlier that there's a, a difference in something that was challenging about learning American Sign Language is wanting to to sign word for word based on your your understanding of English, right? And that it that American Sign Language has its own syntax, its own structure. How how would you describe that that structure? Well, like when when you're assigning to the deaf person, we don't like we speak a lot of the articles that go in front of the words, like the a's, the the's, the ands, and all that. They don't have that. It's, it, the, the example I always use is is you could I use a sentence to teach somebody, you know, I want to go to the store. That's how in English we would say it. Sure. Correct? Okay. They might sign it, store me go. Mm-hmm. Same same concept. Same thought, it's just put in their language. Or that's the easy example to put it. Mm-hmm. When, where would you put uh, tense? Like if, uh, if you wanted to say, I went to the store yesterday. You use a sign for the past. Future and past. You're right in present. The past is behind you. Going forward is in front of you. Ah, so, so where you place the sign. Right determines and that's all the stuff that you can't always explain by just speaking and not looking at something on a like on a videotape or uh or a cd that has uh where you can learn sign language or on the internet today where you can go and learn it too and you can you'll know, see it being done it's not you have to do it it's not something you can just you know always observe sure that 
that third dimension is certainly helpful. Trying to learn it from a book is quite difficult because you can't right. see that, that depth. And you also have to see it coming back at you. It's always easy to sign to somebody else, but now you've got to read it back from them, which you're looking at the back of your hand signing. When somebody signs to you, you're looking at the front. So it's like a, a, a two-way street. You, <laughs> you can sign to somebody, but then you might not be able to, you have to practice looking at somebody signing to you so that you can communicate that way. In studying uh, American Sign Language, learning American Sign Language, and studying other languages, you mentioned learning Greek and Hebrew, would you say the syntax is similar to any other language you've ever studied? No, I don't believe it is. Not from my experience, no. To me, it's a lot easier because it's at a lower level than, you know, like the English and all the rules that we have and all the rules you have in the other languages and all their, you know, little intricacies, like when you go to the seminar and you learn Greek and you learn how they change in the different tenses and all the, you know, accusative, the nominative and all that kind of stuff. You don't have that in sign language. It's pretty basic, straightforward. Tenses are more flexible because it's, that tense is just right. based on where you place the sign. Right. And if you want to tell somebody you did it in the past, like, hey, you just put your hand to the back. Like in the beginning, you would put, you know, in the first verse of the Bible, in the beginning, you'd go, you'd put your hand back. Uh-huh. Or so, with future, you'd put your hand, your hand going forward, and people know we're talking about the future. More forward indicates a future tense. You're right, because you're living in the present. How have so, you, how, in addition to interacting with the deaf, how have you found American Sign Language to be useful in your life? Do you find it useful in other aspects of life, too, in addition to communicating with, with the, the deaf population? Well, the, for me personally, what has helped me is it made me, uh, when it comes to writing sermons and teaching, it, you have to, it makes it, I make it a lot simpler and down to the, to the to lower level because remember the sign language is, doesn't, they don't have a lot of words. I was told when I was in the seminary, we have about 600,000 words in our English language, if we use them all. They have about 6,000. And then the average deaf person knows about 2,500 signs. So you have to take all the concepts that you, you know, say from the scriptures, and you have to get, convey that in their language using the signs that they know. So it makes you, you've got to whittle down and get right to the, right to the core of everything. There's not a lot of, what I say, fluff. Sometimes when you people with, who present in our, our our preaching and teaching, they have a lot of filler because they can use a lot of fancy words. <laughs> well, you don't have that. You can you can do that by your facial expression and the way you move, but you don't have those um, fluffy words that you can make it more, you know, appealing to the ear. So the the specificity is more in the facial expression than the term itself, than the sign itself. It's what makes it more elaborate or more specific is is the the placement of the sign, the facial expression, the the the, the whole body language that comes right. with the sign is what makes it more specific. Right, and you and you can see people. There's some people that are you know, as you see on TV, that do. Uh, that interpret songs and that there's mm -hmm. more, you know, flow to it. It's not just, you know, sign, sign, sign. They can put it all together to express the, uh, you know, the mood that is taking place. 
let's let's talk about an example of facial expression, how that can change a sign entirely. Uh, you you can pick a sign, any phrase or any sign you want. How does the the difference between eyebrows up or eyebrows down make a difference in that sign? Well, like if you're gonna say it's it's uh, it's a nice day outside, it's sunny, but you got this gloom and doom look on your face. It's your signing and your words doesn't it go with does in your facial expressions don't go together because if it's sunny and it's bright and it's a great day to go outside, you you know you be your eyes would be up, you'd be smiling, you'd have a great glow on your face. Where if you're talking about darkness and you know somebody's sick or somebody has passed away, that might be a more somber look on your face. So if uh how is there a way to express sarcasm in ASL? Uh, well, usually it's by the people that you yeah, you <laughs> like raise your eyebrows, you know, you grin at them and that, that comes with the relationship that you have with that group of people. It's just like in here, you don't you don't want to say certain you know, how you can, somebody can you can kid somebody or you can tease somebody about, you know, something. You can do the same thing with the deaf. So there, there's room for, in American Sign Language, it's not all serious as well. Oh, there, there's no, room for, right for joking. and. Oh, and, yeah, sure, yeah. They have they have jokes. They have, you know, some of them, you know, they have dances they go through. They feel the, uh, you know, the beat of the music. And that, you know, for the hearing people, it's sort of hard sometimes because it's real loud, so they can feel the vibrations <laughs> depending upon, you know, how loud uh-huh. it needs to be. But they have their, yeah, they have their own culture, their own language, and they have fun just like the rest of us have fun just in their own, you know, specific ways. I think understanding the language first is certainly one important aspect of understanding the culture. Let's talk a little bit more about deaf culture uh, and uh, what that is. Uh, How has deaf culture grown? How has it evolved? What does deaf culture look like today in the United States? Well, here in Michigan, they have, you know, they have groups nowadays because, the, the education for the deaf has, you know, is spread out. No longer are there, you know, there, we have one school for the deaf here in Flint that's run by the state. We no longer have the Lutheran School for the Deaf. That, be, that has become Lutheran Special Education Ministries. And a lot of the deaf children now are spread out you know, amongst their own school districts. So they don't have that continuity that they had maybe 50, 60 years ago where everybody went to a residential school, everybody knew everybody else, and, you know, they did things together. Now it has to be more of a, the, the parents of the uh, deaf children getting involved and bringing activities to the kids, bringing the kids together so that they can see that there are other other deaf children. Instead of having a, like when I taught school in Detroit, we had like five deaf kids in a building, but they were isolated from everybody. So the parents have to then bring in that cultural part of bringing them together so that they can have that type of fellowship and camaraderie that is missing because no longer are the uh, residential schools, you know, for the most part in business anymore. Any idea how many, uh, how much of our deaf population has a church home is connected to uh, word and sacrament ministry? They say it's 2% of the deaf community is Christian. Wow. So, so it's a big mission field. The, the, the the problem of the mission field is they're so spread out now, like, you know, in the deaf culture, you might have a few here, a few there, so you don't have that of the generation who's in their 60s, 70s, and 80s had that close community because of the residential schools. Mm-hmm. The ones that are probably the 50s or lower, we've lost them because, 
1975, when mainstream, at least in Michigan, came into uh, being, parents no longer had a center. There were other options for deaf education. So they kept them at the local school district. It means it isolated them from the other, you know, deaf for the most part that they'd have to be in contact with, which is also hurt. And you, in Michigan, you, when I started out as a missionary at large, they would give you the addresses and names of all the deaf people in the state of Michigan we could contact. That is no longer the case. It, it's illegal to do that now. So the, the change, the approach in education has certainly changed the direction of deaf culture in America, too, because those, those education centers that where, where education was concentrated for the deaf was also where deaf culture grew and, and, and was, was, uh, was nurtured. Right. Like now, for instance, every, like in Flint, and some of the members of my church in Flint, they belong to the deaf club of uh, Flint and Genesee County. That's where they all get together. They have their meetings, they have their parties, they like to play cards, they get to, their get-togethers. And the one in the Detroit area is dwindling because the age of the, of the deaf club. And because those uh, generations after them, they don't have that awareness of that, they don't have that community because they're spread out all over the place. So the deaf clubs in, Michi- in Michigan are, are, are being affected by that. In addition to the change, the approach to education for the deaf, are there other things that you think have have shaped the the future of deaf culture in America? For example, globalization of of, of society in general, and and the you know the way that we communicate with social media and things like that. Well, that, that's it. in that sense, it has helped the deaf community because you know they all no, no longer do they need TTYs at home to sit and type on a phone. They all have their cell phones and they all have video on it. So now they can talk to each other. You know, they can pick up the phone and they can video somebody and, you know, or FaceTime somebody so they can talk to one another. So in that sense, it has helped because now they can, you know, they're able to stay in touch with one another. Where years before it was either you had a TTY over your, your home phone or you faxed them over the fax machine. That was the way you, you basically came in contact with them. Now, they all got cell phones, they all got the uh, video phone on it, and they can, you know, communicate with each other that way. So the social part of the, that part of the media has helped. So a TTY, uh, what is it, a teletypewriter or TDD, Telephone Device for the Deaf? Deaf, right. The... That's what it, yeah, they, you had to put your phone on it, it was just like a typewriter, you would just type on it, and then they would read, would come on a tape on the other side. And for for many of us, you might see this little line on your, uh, if you still have a landline, you might see this little line right. on your bill for your landline uh, relay um, right. for, you know, a tax uh, a fee or a surcharge for relay right. in your state. And that is, well, can you explain what that is, what the relay service is? A, a deaf person would call up the phone company and they'd have an interpreter there. And now they would, they can video phone it. They'll, the interpreter will then communicate to me what the deaf person is saying. Say they're sick in the hospital, they need to call me. Somebody from the hospital then would get on the, would, uh, the deaf person would contact the interpreter. The interpreter then would relate to me what the deaf person is saying right there in front of them. Now, in the past, that was through uh, TTY or TDD, correct? Right. Correct. Now there's video service, so they can make that video call via relay. Right. It's amazing. That's correct. Yep. So, a, lot of the, a lot of technical improvements in that way says has helped the deaf communicate not only with themselves but also with the real, you know, the hearing world. Anything else about deaf culture you want us to understand? The only thing I is there. They look like us, hearing people. 
The difference is they you know, they have their own language, they can't hear, they have their own culture. And every, any deaf person that I've talked to in my church, you know, everybody wants to try this. They say, why do they try to make us hearing? We're deaf. Hmm. This is the way we, you know, God made us. We're happy. Because they they have their language, they have their culture, and they're comfortable with that, there's no need for... Uh, f- for a-, a change to you know trying to to become hearing. It- explain to me that uh, maybe just a little bit more on that. This well, I guess culture. With all, mm-hmm. you, you know, with the modern technology that they have today, with the cochlear implants and you know everything else that could you know that could maybe bring somebody hearing to them. I mean, those are all good things, but they're not. They're not. That's not a one hundred percent solution to the problem of of depth because some of those things like a cochlear implant i don't know exactly what degree of deafness you need that it will not work but to just say we'll give every deaf for example every deaf person a cochlear implant is not going to make them them hearing because as hearing people we learn to speak because we can copy somebody else we copy the sounds that we hear Mm -hmm. they don't have that ability because for every reason their eardrum has been affected to what to whatever degree. So they learn by using their eyes to copy. We learn to speak because we can hear it and then we can respond. And you, and you know that by when people have children around, before they learn how to you know, put the sentences together, what are they doing? They're trying to copy what they, what they hear. So when you put a cochlear implant on some, some people, you know, it's going to take them a while to get that because all of a sudden you've got a brand new world that just opened up to you. And it's my understanding that just as hearing children when they're infants will will babble and and coo and make sounds, uh, sometimes mimicking what they hear, uh, in deaf families or in in uh, for deaf children, that's that occurs in their visual language in American Sign Language as well. There's there's this babbling and and uh, in that sense as well, right? Right. And they tr- yeah, and they tr- and even in schools when they try to you know depending on the type of education, some will try to verbalize as best they can, but it's because they don't have that sense of sound, it doesn't always come out as the way that it should. So historically, people thought, well, they were, that's why they were called deaf and dumb, because they couldn't speak. Well, they couldn't speak because they can't hear and copy. Mm-hmm. So now that we have, a, I think, a better grasp on the language and the culture of the deaf, how did Ephatha Lutheran Mission Society begin? It will began in 2003 when Pastor Dunseth was called to be the missionary at large, and the district wanted them to set up a mission society to help to take care of the, the deaf in Michigan, because each district in the Missouri Synod is responsible for their own, you know, mission work, their work among the deaf, where historically, back when the Synod started, the Synod, mm-hmm. you know, took care of it. So in order for Deaf Work to continue in Michigan, one of his responsibilities was to set up this mission society to continue on to make sure that the Deaf is being served in the, in the Michigan district. And so it was set up under the, you know, under the direction of the, the Michigan district, and it was set up to promote Deaf missions, to bring educational resources to the Deaf, and try to bring the you know, word and sacraments continually to the to deaf culture, whatever way is, you know, feasible in that area. 
So that's our, our sole purpose is to support deaf missions in the state of Michigan. And so how do you go about that? What are some of the ways that, that you're going about supporting deaf missions in that district? Well, right now we have two churches for the deaf. The oldest one, the oldest one in the Senate is our Savior for the deaf, and we meet now in Birmingham. They used to meet in the deaf school in Detroit, and then we have another one in Flint, and then we have nine, eight other churches throughout the district that have interpretive services for the deaf along with the hearing congregation, that every Sunday they have a, an, an interpreter there to, uh, there might be five or six deaf people in the area, not enough to send a full-time pastor to, you know, to take care of them, but we train the interpreters then and we put them in the churches that, uh, that, that where there is a need. And it's from the northern part to the southern to all over the east and the west. And we continually try to look for other places because we know there's always a little bit of, you know, there's a little deaf everywhere you go. And the last one was about three years ago. We just put a new one in East Towers, Michigan, where we have like three or four deaf people now, and two of them have become, they're not always Lutherans, but two have become catechized and now become members of the, of the Lutheran Church. They're able to get the word in the sacrament on a regular, on a regular mm-hmm. basis. I would gather that some who come together for a deaf congregation might travel for some distance. Is that the case? Yes. Yeah, like in, even in uh, Birmingham, Metro Detroit, people drive 45 minutes one way just to get to church because that's the only, they want a Lutheran service in sign language, and that's what we do. We both, there's three pastors that take care of the two deaf churches, and we speak and sign the service because some family members don't uh, always know sign language. Or we have visitors that come in. We encourage visitors to see what we do and how we do it. We do the divine service out of the LSB. We just do it in sign language. Did you, uh, I, I imagine that took some time to pre- prepare that service uh, in, and, and to, uh, to right. prepare it in to, you have to, The thing is, you have to, and the, the, the tricky part is you have to say it in LSB, but you got to sign <laughs> it in ASL. But after doing it for many years, you know, you, you get the idea, but they, they, and that's what they want. They like that because they like that continuity of the liturgy and they understand mm-hmm. what the liturgy is. And it, and if you try to change it or tweak it a little bit, they say, well, why'd you do that? Why? Then you get, then there's a big explanation that comes forward, but they are very liturgical in the way that they do things here in Michigan. I just don't know how you do it in two languages, how you think in two languages as a pastor. Pastor, we need to take a quick break. We'll learn more about the FFL Lutheran Mission Society and the school as well. You're listening to Faith and Family on Worldwide KFUO. Concordia University, Wisconsin, and Mequon overlooks a half mile of beautiful Lake Michigan shoreline. CUW campus is located 15 miles north of Milwaukee with over 70 undergraduate majors, 28 graduate degree programs, and doctorate programs in pharmacy, physical therapy, occupational therapy, and nursing practice. CUW offers online learning and accelerated learning at one of nine Wisconsin centers and one in St. Louis. Traditional or accelerated education, CUW has the program for you. CUW.edu. 
This is Life Issues with Brad Mattis, president of Life Issues Institute. Pro-abortion activists say abortion must remain legal so it will be safe. For the woman, I presume, because the baby dies a horrible death. But legal abortion doesn't mean safe abortion. Rick Van Thiel was arrested for doing abortions in a grimy trailer behind his house in Las Vegas. He learned to do them from watching YouTube videos. Legal abortionist Michael Roth was known as the trunk abortionist and arrested when police found abortion equipment and remains in the trunk of his car. Legal abortionist James Pendergraft was arrested when police found abortion instruments covered with evidence of his grisly practice in his car. He traveled up and down the interstate doing abortions. Making abortion legal hasn't made abortion safe. Babies are killed and women are Like us on Facebook at Life Issues and stay informed, more informed than you've ever been. This week on Issues Etc., we'll have Pastor Brian Wolf Miller answer the question, who is the main actor in Christian worship? We'll continue our series Worldview Watch with Pastor Jonathan Fisk. We'll discuss C.S. Lewis on politics and natural law with Dr. Justin Dyer, and we'll talk with Dr. Ken Sherb about a Christian's approach to elections. Issues Etc., live weekday afternoons from 3 to 5 on KFUO. Join the Concordia University Chicago Capella Choir for an evening of beautiful music with the Reformation theme. As part of their annual fall concert tour, the Premier Choral Ensemble will present a free concert titled Hymns of the Reformation on Friday, October 14th at 7 p.m. at the Lutheran Church of the Resurrection, located at 9907 Sappington Road in St. Louis. For more information, contact Justin Nabach at 314-843-6633. Concord Matters is a show seeking agreement in Christian confession. I'm Pastor Charles Henriksen, one of the hosts of Concord Matters, heard on Worldwide KFUO each Tuesday at 2 p.m. Central and a repeat on Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. Central. We take an in-depth look at the Book of Concord with some fine Lutheran theologians. Concord Matters, live on Tuesdays at 2 p.m. on Worldwide KFUO, the messenger of good news. In 1924, we embraced the new technology of that day, radio. Since that day, we've stayed on the cutting edge of technology. There are many easy ways to listen to Worldwide KFUO, on the air, online, and on demand. We proclaim the gospel of Christ in both word and song. Now, that's why you should listen. The where and the how, well, that's up to you. The messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO. If you have a question about the LCMS, contact the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Church Information Center and you'll be connected with a real person who can help you find the answer. Call 1-888-THE-LCMS or 1-888-843-5267 or email them infocenter at lcms.org. Helping you with your questions and finding you resources. The LCMS Church Information Center. Welcome back to Faith and Family. I'm Andy Bates. We're talking about 
Ministry to the Deaf, Deaf Culture, Deaf Language, with the Reverend Brent Engel, President of the Board for Ephatha Lutheran Mission Society in Michigan and the Michigan District. Before we went to break, Pastor Engel, we were talking about uh, services, uh, Deaf services, Deaf Lutheran services, I should say. And uh, you mentioned that that uh, liturgy, the divine service, right out of Lutheran service book, is is strongly embraced in the, the, the Deaf congregations that you serve and others serve in the Michigan District. And uh, that the, the, the services are, are straight out of Lutheran service book, obviously, uh, you know, speaking them in English, but, but also uh, translating in American Sign Language that the, the liturgy is strongly embraced. What about hymns? How do you go about hymnody in a deaf congregation? Well, the hymns, we also have, uh, for our best the last 50 years, we had the hymns out of TLH were put into, uh, translated from the hymn for English into American Sign Language, and then we added those from that are due to the LSB. So we've been using hymns since probably 1940s. They're all put into language that the deaf can hear, and uh, we give the, the hymns are signed by the members of the congregation and for the hearing people. Like in Flint, we had an organist because we had five uh, hearing members. So every Sunday we had a full-time organist, and the deaf lady would get up there, and she would sign the hymns, as long, and we would sing right along with her. So quite often these congregations are, are a blend or a mix of hearing and deaf because right. of family members. Families want to worship together, and in many, many families, American Sign Language and English is used in the home because there are they're, they're, they're members who are deaf and there are members who are uh, hearing, and right. so uh, hearing who are very strongly right. welcomed in the, the deaf culture because they know American Sign Language, but yet they're also hearing. And so right. there are people who, who use both languages in their daily lives. So having a service, is this what we call a blended service, Pastor? Yeah, you could call it, yeah, <laughs> language, that's right. It's a bicultural service. A bicultural, bilingual Sign language and yeah. uh, English doing the divine service right, right with each other. So, so, if you want to use the word blended, that should be fine. <laughs> so <laughs> hymns are, are still a key part of this, oh. this divine service. Yes, we use the hymns right out of LSB, and if we don't have a translation for it, one of the three pastors that week we'll translate it so then we have it for for the future so we're always trying to because lsb and tlh don't all have the same some have been taken out some have been added so we now we got a comp of you know a composite of both of them are and there look, uh, for you are there any hymns that now having signed them having learned them in asl that perhaps have a new you have a new perspective on that hymn and the the the, the message that it brings because I do it all the time now, it, it doesn't, you know, I can sign them and sing them in English at the same time, just because I've done them over and over again. But it just, it helps you get you, like I said before, when, it, when you're preaching, it helps you get right to the point, mm-hmm. and you get, so you can get the message across. And, you know, hymns like, especially at uh, funerals, we sing, you know, for all the saints. I mean, that's, you know, that's one of the hymns that goes over well with the deaf and also the hearing because of the of the uh, melody and the mm-hmm. and the song part of it but it just it makes you realize that you that you can understand God's word at the simplest level and at the highest level when it comes to languages i guess you would say beyond the services as you know beyond those those divine services gathering around word and sacrament how else 
does the, the, the Mission Society, Ephatha Lutheran Mission Society, reach the deaf, serve the deaf in Michigan? Well, we have, uh, we have a mission camp uh, society once a year up in Frankenmuth. We try to have a uh, fellowship activities like a chocolate festival where we invite all the deaf to come in, and that seems to be, you know, like anything else, just like Lutherans, the deaf like to, you know, like, like to eat. So that's how, how you pull them in. And, you know, they listen to us. They, uh, they're welcome. They come to our churches. It's just that they haven't um, gone through catechism and actually asked to join. But we go to the deaf clubs, and we socialize with them, and you know, we, make, we try to make a make a visible presence in the deaf community that we are still here. We're willing to work with them and help them any way we can. We just up in Flint, after about 10 years, we finally got our first two uh, young people in uh, catechism class after being up there 10 years to try to work with the, the Lutheran, I mean, the school for the deaf in Flint. We have two uh, gentlemen. Now we just added a third one this past week. Or uh, they're now going through Luther small catechism to become uh, to become Lutherans, and that's been a ten-year process to get in that door to get some results. Well, thanks be to God for yes. uh, for His work, the the Holy Spirit's work in these individuals that uh, receiving the good news of Jesus and that desire to learn more uh, right. in God's Word. But it's a slow process; that it's not going to be. You know, it's not a quick fix because, again, you're trying to deal with another culture, and, you know, until they get your trust in a certain area, it's just like anywhere else. They're not going to let you in too far in the door. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Anything unique about catechesis and, you know, studying the catechism uh, with the deaf? No, we just have to simplify it more than Luther already did it for the hearing. A slow, continual process because, again... These young gentlemen, first of all, have to learn because they've been in, you know, interpretive church. Now they have a pastor in front of them, and we have to, a lot of the signs that, you know, maybe not, they're not paying attention in church all the time, they have to learn the signs, the religious signs that we use so that they can understand the catechism. Uh, so they there, might have not seen before. So there are like, some signs that are more specific when it comes to religious yeah, like or theology. Baptism. Uh-huh. You know, the Lord's Supper. You know, signs like that, gospel that they might not always see, epistle. You know, what do those, we sign it, then we have to explain what that is. Sure. And, and I mean, they, they do understand it. It just, it's just, it's, they're not only learning the catechism, but they're learning the whole new language now that they might not have always received when they were, you know, once the interpretation was going on. Are there different ways of signing those things, particularly? You know, I'm thinking about how Lutherans teach the Lord's Supper and baptism and how those from other confessions teach those things. Is, is that communicated in those signs? Is there a difference, you know, in, in terms of how, how a Baptist would sign baptism and oh, yeah. how a Lutheran yeah, would sign baptism? baptism? Right. For the most part, yeah, the Baptists would do it a little bit, would do it different than us. When it comes to uh, baptism, and well, I can't show you because we're on a phone. <laughs> <laughs> we're in a hearing world, and I'm trying to explain the deaf sign, but I can't do it unless you know unless I show it to you. Sure. So that what's the significance though? How how might a, a Lutheran sign? What might it express differently than than say someone coming from an evangelical or a Baptist background? Well, I don't I don't think it's anything. The sign is not necessarily different. It's just the way that 
that they've always done it in their tradition. Mm-hmm. I, you know, like with the Baptists would do it different than, you know, the Lutherans would do it. Like when we, for when we do baptism or what we do in Michigan, we do, you know, we do water that is designed for water and then, you know, put it sprinkled on the head where if they could, if that makes sense to somebody, mm-hmm. when the Baptists would do it, they would just put their, you know, thumbs up and just go their thumbs to the left, two hands up like you give somebody thumbs up and put your hands to the left, which is, which would um, signify dunking or immersion. Aha. Uh-huh. I guess that would be the difference. Sure. So there are certainly some visual differences that, right. that carry that message with them as well. It's my right. understanding that, that the sign for baptism among Lutherans is similar to the sign for grace. Is that right? Right. Part of, yeah, the second part of it, like the same part. When you, again, it would be the direction. The grace would be towards the heart. Mm-hmm. The baptism would signify because we put the water on the head normally in our Lutheran churches. That's what put the water, and then we sprinkle, you know, let the fingers go out over the forehead. But when it comes to grace, then you put it towards the heart. Same with mercy comes out of the heart. Grace goes towards the heart. Aha. Oh, that's interesting, that grace goes toward the heart. So it, it's... Because it's coming from God. Sure, it's external coming toward right. us. Same with mercy. Mercy can be towards us, or mercy can be away from us. Aha. We're being showing mercy, or we're receiving mercy. So that would determine in your sermon that even though we would say mercy in the English language... What are we doing in a sign language? Is it us showing mercy to somebody else, or are we receiving mercy from God? So that would be your, your difference. Well, I Again, think your, your direction. In my opinion, I think that you know, we've talked about American Sign Language being basic or, or not very complex, but I think that, in my opinion, that makes it more complex and elaborate as a language because it can communicate something that we don't do very well it, right. with, with just one or two words in English. Right, but I guess because... You know, like since I've been doing it for so long, it's just automatic. <laughs> yeah, I don't think of it like what you just explained. I think it's, it, you're, but you're you're correct. It's just that because that's the way you look, the way they understand it. If you do it the wrong way, then you're doing and you're you're communicating the wrong method. Sure, you got to make sure your direction is correct. Yeah, and the more you do that, and the more as you prepare your sermons and you think about that, it just it just comes automatically to you. Certainly, but you're right. You can express some heresy if you uh, if you sign it the wrong way. <laughs> right, right, right. Exactly. So that's why the direction part is important. Where in we don't want to say in English, you get away with it a little more sloppily, but you know we could. Where in sign language, you would make the wrong distinction, right? You could do it to, to the wrong point it to the wrong way. So certainly education of those who are serving in deaf ministry is important in how we communicate. But let's talk about education for the deaf. You mentioned that that has certainly changed in in the United States and in Michigan. Uh, what are efforts, uh, what are new efforts to provide education and uh, particularly Christian education to the deaf? Well, we've been, since the Lutheran School for the Deaf, and who was in Detroit, shifted its emphasis when mainstreaming came in back in the middle 80s to more special education instead of just the deaf. The deaf could stay at home in their own communities. Well, we have no connection because we can't find the deaf young people in the, in the public schools because it's, it's illegal to do that. You can't give out that information anymore. So we've been for oh, about 12 years now, myself and Pastor Dunseth, the other uh, uh, individual that works with the deaf. He's a pastor, but he works for the deaf school in New York. 
we've been trying to put the word out that we want to establish another school for the deaf so that they deaf children have the opportunity to learn about to learn about Jesus. Well, we got to the point about a year ago in Dearborn, Michigan, they closed, the public school closed their deaf program. And no longer do they teach any deaf children in the Dearborn public schools. So we had a meeting with some of the parents, and we would we asked them, well, if we could get a school open, would they be willing to send their children to us? And a year ago, they said yes. And then over the past year, it's, things have happened that we were able to we have a teacher in line, we have an assistant teacher in line, but now when it comes time to actually jump on ship, we haven't had anybody jump on the ship yet. So we're still in a holding pattern to open up that uh, school. But what we've done in the meantime, we have hired a, a deaconess who is deaf, and she has been, she has, has started teaching the hearing children at Emanuel Dearborn uh, Lutheran School so that they will, when the deaf, we open the deaf school, they will be able to communicate with the deaf children. She's teaching the hearing and the, the staff, the faculty at Emmanuel School, and the pastors, so that when these deaf individuals come in and their families, they'll be able to communicate not only on a level of you know society, but they'll be able to communicate their faith. And that's part of the reason we want to put the school in with the hearing school, because the deaf children have to work, live in a hearing world. The hearing kids then have an uh, ability to communicate in another language, and sign language is their second language that we talk about nowadays in, you know, in the educational field. So this is really a, a drive to, uh, to bridge this gap uh, for both the hearing world and the deaf world and right. bring them together in a Christian education setting where the Word of God is taught, and, as well as academics. Right, correct. Exactly. Because... All families are not going to be hearing, or all families are not going to be deaf. So we want to take care of the whole family. So if we just concentrate on the deaf, that means the hearing part doesn't feel part of it, but now we put them together so that way the hearing church can meet the needs of the hearing part of the family. The deaf church then can meet the needs of the deaf individuals. And we'll, we'll do interpretive services with Emmanuel down the road. That's our plan. But right now we'll meet once a month just as a deaf congregation and Emmanuel Dearborn to let people know that we are here now to serve you. We have to take care of the whole family, not just part of it, which we did historically. You know, it just sort of fell into place, but now, you know, you always learn something that the older you get. We want to put the two together to take care of the whole family. How are, how are families, how is this being received by the families in the community at the, the school, the church? Oh, the church has embraced it. They they love it. They can't get enough of uh, of the sign language or the deaf people being there, and they see that Emmanuel sees that as a mission now of their congregation to help support the deaf ministry in the in the metro area. We just started it this past month, so now we we have a presence now back in that area of Metro Detroit that we didn't have for fifty years. So now the message is going out that. These things are available. We're going to offer a tutoring program for the deaf. That's the way that we're going to hopefully draw them in to say, hey, you know what, we want to have our child to be here all day, not just for tutoring after school, but we see the place. We see that they're involved in deaf culture. We see that everybody's learning the language of the deaf that my child has to learn as a deaf child. And hopefully through this tutoring program, we will then be able to pull students that will say, we want to stay at St. Martin's all day, not just for tutoring. 
how do you think this will benefit the hearing children? What what benefits will the hearing children and hear, hearing families gain from this? From from Emmanuel or from the parents of the uh, of the, I think they'll understand that there's people different than them in the world, and that all of us need to know Christ as their Savior. And this is one way that, in a different way, that maybe they've never thought in their life that they'd be able to share their faith, be able to communicate their faith to somebody else that has a different language, and it's right at their door. They don't have to go overseas. They don't have to get a visa to do it. They can do it right there in their home community, and chances are when they go to high school, some of these children will be in the same high schools. Now they'll be able to communicate with them as they go on in their educational life. And you mentioned earlier that it was, uh, in terms of the deaf population, only about 2% have a church home or identified as As Christian. Right. That's what the statistics tell us, yes. So having more children and adults who are conversational in American Sign Language can really change those numbers. Exactly. Well, we haven't trained them to do that, and that's part of the problem, and now we got to get training. I mean, you know, for whatever reason, it didn't take place. Now it's, you know, we're going forward because while we're here, we have the calling to bring the Word of God not only to the deaf, the hearing, but to everybody that we come in contact with. And this is a way that we feel that uh, we can best use our talents and our resources that the Lord has given us in this, you know, in this area of the United States. And hopefully it'll get, you know, when we have the school open, we welcome kids like they did from all over the place. But we have to get it open and we feel this is the best way that we can get it done. Pastor, do you have a, a story or an example from the ministry to the deaf that, that you're involved in that really demonstrates how important this ministry is? I mean, earlier you mentioned some uh, two, uh, I think it was two young men who are who've now asked to be catechized and are, are learning. Uh, any other stories or examples from this ministry that really help us understand the need, the importance, and just how how beautiful this can be as well. I guess not really a story, but the way that it now as people you have to go out and you have to expose them that there are others, there are other people out there that need to hear the word of God. And now that using Dearborn as an example, because many times churches will say, "Oh yeah, I want to get on board," but they don't realize what's involved when you say you want to start a deaf mission. You have to have the congregation behind it, otherwise it falls apart. And it's fallen apart many times in the past as we try to, you know, the deaf pastors think, well, this would be a a good location, but it doesn't necessarily fit with the mindset of the congregation. Where with Emmanuel Dearborn, they can't get enough of it. They want to know, how can we become involved? How can we help out? the members of the congregation now want to uh, learn sign language so that they can communicate with the deaf when they come to their church or when there's an interpretive service, then they can communicate with them. So they've embraced it, and over, I've been doing this for a long time. This is the first one that I've seen embrace it in such a manner as Emmanuel and Lutheran Church in Dearborn has done it. What's what? What is the 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 next step for Saint Martin Luther Saint Martin Lutheran School for the Deaf? Um, how can families find out more about it? Get uh, perhaps enrolled for either for this year or the coming school year. Well, we have we have a website. It's it's www.smlid.org. It has 
all the information of what our purpose is. It has the registration form on there. It shows uh, the location. It has everything what we believe and teach of why, again, we we want to open it, because we want the children to learn about Jesus Christ. Just like I had the opportunity as a Lutheran school, going to a Lutheran school and a Lutheran high school. The deaf don't have that now, and we want them to have that again because that's we have to train them because we're losing we're losing the deaf in Christianity because there's not there's they don't have that opportunity that the hearing children have. What? How can we find out more about uh, deaf outreach, deaf ministry? in our own neighborhoods, especially for those in Michigan District? How can we find out more, maybe even find a congregation uh, or an opportunity well, we to learn have, American Sign Language? Well, we have it on the um, on our ELMS website, ELMSdef.org. Uh, um, uh, it has all our congregations that, uh, use, that we have interpreters. We have the local congregations. We also have links on there about uh, sign language. We have the link on there to the Missouri Synod, where then you can tap into all the other, you know, the other districts that have that have deaf work. Every, and on Facebook, we have a Facebook page, the Lutheran Mission Society Facebook page, which tells all the things that we're doing. And that's the way that we've gotten most of our contact with the deaf families in Michigan is through Facebook, not through the emails, not through the website. It's been through Facebook. It's a popular place, most yeah. definitely. Right. Pastor Engel, thanks so much for sharing with us about this important outreach and uh, an important part of the uh, the service, the ministry to which God has given you and so many others. Thanks for sharing with us about deaf culture today as well. Okay. Thank you for having me. Enjoyed it. The Lord uh, be with you and your ministry as well. Thank you. God bless you and uh, all those you serve with, with Ephatha Lutheran Mission Society. Coming up in just a little bit, Thy Strong Word, going to study God's Word, and Pastor Boyce Claire filling in today for Pastor Whedon. You're listening to Worldwide KFUO, the messenger of good news. Listen to Faith and Family Monday through Friday at this time. Faith and Family is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is needed for Faith and Family to continue. Our address is 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can contact us on the web and download Faith and Family at KFUO.org. Worldwide KFUO, on the air, online, and on demand.